The kinship of heaven is like a man named Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson lived in Terre Haute, Indiana, an ordinary man with a wife and children. One day he was arrested for breaking and entering into a neighbor's home. He was identified in a police lineup, went to court, and in spite of his pleas of innocence, was sentenced to jail for two to five years. During the first two years of his sentence, Mr. Wilson lost his house, his job, his reputation, his savings. He and his family were completely devastated. And then out of the blue, another man came forward and confessed to the crime. Mr. Wilson was granted permission to attend the sentencing hearing of the man who had actually committed the crime. And as the judge was about to rule on punishment, Wilson asked to speak to the court. Permission was given, and this is what he said to the judge. Your Honor, this man you are about to sentence is not the same man who robbed the house that night. This man has traveled a road few ever take, a road to confession, repentance, and atonement. He is making restitution for his actions. He has come forward despite knowing that someone else was already convicted and serving time for his crime. He did not have to worry about being found out. The courtroom was stunned, but what he said next was even more amazing. Judge, I have already served almost three years for this crime. Justice has been served in my time in jail. I ask the court not to punish this man in the name of the law for what I have already done restitution for. The courtroom fell silent. After a moment, the judge directed Tom Wilson's words to be applied as the court's ruling, letting the other man go free. When Wilson was praised for his mercy, he responded, no, this was not mercy. This was justice under the law. The kinship of heaven is like a man named Tom Wilson. The kinship of heaven is also like a landowner who comes into town in his beat-up pickup truck at the crack of dawn one day and invites a bunch of day laborers standing on the side of the road to jump into the back of his truck, come out to his vineyard, and work for him in exchange for a fair day's wage. Then, same said landowner drives back into town in his truck at 9, at noon, at 3, and at 5, each time doing the very same thing, repeating his invitation to come work in his fields with the promise of paying whatever is right. And each time, those standing on the side of the road hoping for work in order to pay for food for their families accept the invitation, jump in the back of the truck, and off they go. And then, at the end of that day, our landowner gathers up all of the workers and to the astonishment of all, pays them, each of them, for a full day's worth of work whether they had started at the crack of dawn, at nine, at noon, at three, at five, which results in some not, some not so very appreciative workers. The kinship of heaven is also like this bizarre landowner. Good morning, my beloved friends, and welcome back. This is the third of our four-part sermon series, Asking the Question, 
What Does Love Require? Each week, we are holding up the assigned gospel text next to this simple yet profound and challenging question in order to wonder together about some of our assumptions and intentions and commitments related to following Jesus. And honestly, when I came up with this idea over the summer, I didn't realize then what I am starting to discover now, which is this preaching thing is much more complicated when we are apart, you and me. In seminary, they tell you that preaching is really a kind of conversation. On the face of it, what you see is me, or sometimes another Trinity member, here by myself trying to unravel and make sense and then offer a message that moves us forward in our faith one way or another. At the same time, it is, when done in the context of a community of faith, a conversation of sorts, a two-way exchange of energy and sometimes ideas, even if it looks like I am the only one that is talking right now. Here's another way of looking at it. The noun conversation comes from the old French word of the same spelling, meaning, quote, a manner of conducting oneself in the world, unquote. When we have a conversation with another person or a group of people, we listen closely and we respond appropriately so that our conversation is a true exchange of ideas, not just people waiting for their turn to talk. A good conversation, and I would hope a good sermon, makes us feel heard, satisfied, and maybe even not just informed, but inspired. I share all of this with you because I have received some very thoughtful feedback from our first two Sundays in this sermon series. I am grateful, and I encourage each of you to reach out anytime the Spirit moves. The longer I give myself to this work, the more I am convinced that I have fewer and fewer answers and instead a deeper desire to simply come up with better questions while we learn to listen for God in our lives, while we walk together. You help me and help me pray and move and think forward as a faithful member of this community, and I miss you. So thank you for staying connected, both new and not so new friends. You are deeply loved. So a quick recap of where we have been these first couple of weeks before we move on, and then we'll get back to the story of Tom Wilson and the uber-generous, though confounding, landowner. We began our journey wondering if one of the requirements of love is elevating the power of relationships over rules, placing more value on cultivating dignity and respect for every human being and making room for each other in the building up of the beloved community. The simple children's story of the old turtle and the broken truth reminded us of the not so easy to live by truth, that we are loved and so are they. We all have a they, consciously or unconsciously, and our work as disciples demands that we cross the street again and again to welcome and meet the stranger. Then last week, we focused on the importance of forgiveness and the act of forgiving. It was another challenging passage. 
I fear that I may not have underscored how truly excruciatingly hard this requirement can be from time to time. You are not alone if you spent any time this past week wondering how or even why you should try to forgive when so much around us feels hurtful and biased and even violent. We heard that forgiveness according to the kinship of heaven, the way of being in the world that values community and courage and connection over our self-centered, protected, ego-driven intentions is good news but I am not sure if I made a very compelling case. I shared this requirement of love is a hard truth for me because it demands vulnerability and truth-telling at very deep levels. Trying to lift up an example of someone who could be so justified in withholding forgiveness in his life, I shared a quote from South African Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Forgiveness, he wrote, is nothing less than the way we heal the world. We heal the world by healing each other and every one of our hearts. Forgiveness is the journey we take toward healing the broken parts. It is how we become whole again. So now here we are today. Today I have paired the gospel story of the laborers in the field with the modern day and true story of a man named Tom Wilson. Because both of these stories seem equally shocking. Both leave us feeling some version of what just happened here? Something doesn't sound right. This doesn't sound fair or just. Episcopal priest Barbara Brown Taylor sums up this response to the gospel story when she writes this. The parable of the laborers in the vineyard is a little like cod liver oil. You know Jesus is right. You know it must be good for you, but that doesn't make it any easier to swallow. This parable is one of those stories of forgiveness so radical that it actually offends because it seems to reward those who have done the least while it sends those who have worked the hardest to the end of the line and those who at the end of the line will not only be paid as much as those at the front, they will also be paid first. It's just not fair, she writes. The other story, the story of Tom Wilson, is a true account told by Megan McKenna in her wonderful book, Send My Roots Rain, A Spirituality of Justice and Mercy. She uses this story to start her book, inviting readers into a deep and intentional conversation grounded in the difference between justice and mercy. And for us today, I want to offer just a snapshot of her perspective, as I have found it beautiful and helpful moving down this path paved with so many stumbling blocks. McKenna writes, the word justice has many meanings. In a court of law in the United States, it is freely used as equal opportunity under the existing law, specifically in the areas of jobs, housing, and education. For many people, she writes, justice is whatever they personally consider fair. It can be as arbitrary and changeable as stock market value, at the whim of circumstances and history, worth one thing one day and altogether another the next. 
For others, it can be explained by such catchphrases as an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And it all too easily can slide into vengeance, self-righteous demands, racism, or revenge and retaliation on an emotional level. But religiously, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, justice always looks more like mercy than anything we would label justice. Huh. Wow. In the Judeo-Christian tradition, justice always looks more like mercy than anything we would label justice. So today I want to lean into McKenna's beautiful articulation of the difference between justice and mercy to help us unravel our possible reaction to these two stories and perhaps lead us to our third requirement of love. I loved putting these stories side by side this week because together they seem to throw us completely off balance and beg our attention in a new way. I agree that together they offer another requirement of love, a willingness to receive what McKenna calls a shock of grace. So as we look at these two stories today, what does it mean to experience a shock of grace? What could we take away? How do we carry something of this experience forward into our everyday lives? In a time when many of us see and feel the pain of injustice all around us, where is the shock of grace that helps us make a way forward? when our black and indigenous and people of color, brothers and sisters, continue to bear the weight and burden of the ramifications of systemic racism all around them, where is the shock of grace leading them forward in their lives next to us? I feel strongly that almost anything I say this morning at this point will fall short and disappoint. I know I am not the I'm not alone experiencing the emotional tsunami effect many of us feel living through this extended time of separation, political division, now fires on the West Coast, hurricanes, human violence, protests amid the backdrop of the threat of the erosion of our democracy. But then, when I'm feeling all of those things, just as I am now, I try to quiet myself. I try to stop trying to figure out what might be the right or clever answer, the answer to try and explain or direct, and instead take a deep breath and go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning of what we said now three weeks ago. When we began this sermon series, I said this, as we continue to move forward as disciples, as followers of Jesus, as those committed to the gospel imperative to love our neighbor as ourselves, what is being asked of us? I posited that it is a relationship that we are after with ourselves, with each other, and with a God who loves us beyond our wildest imaginations. It is relationship, not rules, that build community and resilience. And yes, community is messy and holy and sacred, 
and perhaps the best path leading us to our own transformation. So maybe today, maybe right now, maybe today is simply the time to remember about the upside-down nature of the gospel, the upside-down nature of God's love in our lives, the upside-down nature of what it means to be shocked by grace. These two stories do shock and maybe even intentionally offend us because we want to control and we want to have the ability to define and orchestrate what is fair and what is right. Maybe the good news today is pretty small, but I still need to hear it, and maybe you do too. If we dare to be shocked by grace, may we also dare to lean in to the implausibility of experiencing mercy. So that when God makes her way to the back of the line at the end of a long day of work, to hand out what others judge as an unfair amount. May we all consider that as God puts the wage of mercy into the workers' hands, God will look and find our eyes and our hands open and ready to receive that implausible but so much needed mercy and love. May it be so.